Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Oh, I missed my cue. There we go. I got distracted because Nick just walked by and said the most peculiar thing, who? You guys ever what need was a that? P- if you need a pinch hitter for the show someday, let me know. It's, it's right above the door. It's Rick and Nick talk flicks. And Nick's too busy to do the show, but said he'd love to fill in someday on his own show. Remember we started becoming the hosts by being the fill-ins? I think there's... The good, the bad, and the fill-ins? That it, was us? I think we've acro- we've crossed a line here because we have 80-plus episodes now. Today's the plus. It's like common law spouse. After a point, it just becomes official. Shouldn't they officially change the name of the show to Dave and Hoove Talk Flicks? But it doesn't roll off the the, the skull as fast and as easy, you know? No, that's kind of why the name is what it is. Which is Rick and Nick, in quotations, Talk Flicks with their stunt doubles, Dave and Hoove. I'm Dave Brooks. And I'm Joel Hoover. And indeed, we welcome you today as you continue to un- try to understand why it is that guys named Dave and Joel are hosting a podcast called Rick and Nick. Even the logos still have like a yellow sticky pad over there. Eh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> hey, we're sponsored yes. by the Bemidji Theater. Great spot to go. Uh, I've, I've got to go get another one of those popcorn deals, and that's a great way you can go support. Uh, theaters are starting to reopen. There will be a summer box office. If you're not quite feeling prepared to go walk into and sit down at the cinema, I understand. I agree. In fact, I'm in that camp, too. But to support the local theater, there's lots of ways, and it's not just buying a movie ticket. The Snack Bar is a great spot to do that. They have a great big tub of popcorn. It costs $20 for the the bucket, but then you come back and you can refill it endlessly for $350. So it's ultimately a really, really good deal, and I've got a couple of those buckets hanging around the house, and conveniently for them, I forget to bring it with me. (laughs) Oh, oh, well, I guess I'll have to get another bucket. So it's the only type of space in town you're going to find an icy machine. And uh, go support your local theater. You'll find them on Highway 2, kind of between Bemidji and Wilton. And there will be great shows on that screen or screens coming the summer box office season. Yeah, just down the street from the airport. That is where you can find the Bemidji Theater. You'll see it right there. If you are if you are driving to the north, you'll see it right there on the left. Uh, you'll see it out there um, just beyond the airport. Well, the north and west, I should say. Um, you'll see it there just beyond the airport, and it is indeed a great place to go to go catch a movie. Um, if you're comf- if you're feeling comfortable enough to go and catch a movie, uh, you can do just that. If you want to just pop in and support them, again, just like Dave said, the concession stand is the place to go with that to be able to support them, and you can get your concessions and go from there. Honestly, the next time you're driving down Highway 2 and you're a little th- dry in the throat, you need to, you know, wet and pull into the theater. You know, gas stations are great too, but if you don't need that kind of fill up, you just need to grab a snack and a drink, get into the theater. Go yeah. stop on into yeah. the Old Amigo and tell them you want to get a hookup with a beverage and a popcorn or something, and then back on the road you go. That's all it takes, and I've done it myself. The Old Amigo, there's a throwback, because that's what it used to be in its previous iteration. So... All right, uh, today, 
today we're going to get right to the chase pretty much with with what we want to talk about because, um, well, first of all, we are recording on May the 4th, so may the 4th be with you. You've been working on that, haven't you? I've had many a broom handle war when I was a kiddo. <laughs> so, you, yeah, plenty of practice, decades of practice to be able to get that sound spot on. They didn't make toys with, you know, built-in sound effects and rock'em, sock'em. That stuff didn't happen when I was a kid. It was in you that to make it rock'em, sock'em. How's your Chewbacca impression? Not as good. That's still really solid. I mean, you have to get that particular gurgle in the throat. Anyway, it is May the 4th, so that's uh, that's another special element to uh, the day on which we are recording this. But uh, secondly, we are just just fresh off of the Oscars by a, just over a week now that, that it's been since the Oscars. So that's that's our main topic for today. And I mean, we're gonna we're gonna spend a lot of time discussing the Academy Awards. Awards shows in general, what it means for for Hollywood that the Oscars are maybe as irrelevant as ever in terms of wide viewing audience for watching the Oscars and by some margins. So there, there's so many different things to cover with this topic today and many different angles to it. So we're, we've done a couple of fix-it episodes over time where we can make this better, make that better. I, this might be sort of a half fix-it. Because who's got some ideas? I've got some ideas. We're not really in agreement or alignment. In fact, we haven't really discussed per per se openly about what our ideas really are because we kind of want to surprise each other as we unfold this during the recording. But the bottom line, we're going to come together on this completely, and that's fine. The bottom line, though, is we're in agreement on something in in particular, and that is that the Oscars need fixing. Yeah. So, just real quick background. The Oscars are, for movies, the Super Bowl. They are the, the handing out of the most prestigious trophies. There's other awards that you can win. Oscars, Trump, Golden Globes. They're just they are as big as it gets for movies, and that's just the end of it. But the ceremony itself has always had falling ratings. Granted, this was a pandemic year, so everything was different about the Oscars. They only had, and I'm exaggerating, like 15 movies. So, of course, every movie was pretty much up for Best Picture. But it was the by far smallest audience to ever watch the Oscars. It was presented in more of a dinner theater slash virtual setup. And it was the first time ever that less than 10 million people worldwide watched the Oscars. Or maybe that was just in the U.S. Either way, it was a really, really low number. What can you do to make the Oscars, at least the telecast, receiving an Oscar, I don't think has become less prestigious, but the ceremony certainly has been. So what can we do to fix it? Are there things that can be done to fix it without losing something of what the Oscars is? Let the debate commence. And I don't think we're going to need to talk about spoilers here because we're not talking about movies specifically. We're talking about movies in a general term and how we can honor them in a way that is, I don't know, it's funny that movies as entertaining as they are are honored in such an unentertaining way. It is really ironic when you put it that way, Dave. But let's let's think a little bit here about why why this kind of matters. And that's because the Oscars have always been like a a touchstone television event and a touchstone award show event. You know, for music, what is it? It's the Grammys. For movies, yeah, the Golden Glo- the Golden Globes kind of have their place. They have their place when it comes to movies and TV and they have they they've carved out kind of a cute little niche that that they have that you know has kind of some interest um with with what they do and just the vibe that they run with but the oscars are an extravagant event 
and a very prestigious event that that really is about movie making in general. You know, not even just American movie making anymore, which we'll get to here in a little bit. But but the Oscars have always had controversy on the fringes with them, whether it's been people in the past who have not accepted an award, you know, whether it's Marlon Brando or George C. Scott, you know, things things like that that have come with it too. Then then came more recent days and more recent controversies with Oscars So White and with um, looking at the the Oscars on the whole and going, are we really get are we really giving decent a, a fair shake as far as representation and opportunity for for those across a wide diverse scale to get a real crack at at awards here and getting consideration for awards. So they've revamped what membership looks like with the academy here in recent years. They have they have expanded membership on it. It's become much more diverse. The this past year like this year's Oscars I think was the most diverse field ever. I that, think you that almost have to about. look at it with an asterisk because of so few movies that came out. Correct. And a lot of the mainstream movies that you could say perpetuate the issues, they just didn't come out. So right. this is kind of a one-off in a way. And that's and that's, that's not a bad thing that you have such a diverse cast. The first uh, minority uh, woman to win Best Director. It's never happened before. And only the second woman to win Best Director after uh, Catherine Bigelow, right, for The Hurt Locker? Yes, I think that was the I first believe. and only before this Oscars. So this is good. That's, like, that stuff is is very good. But let's let's unpack the numbers here because going back to even the 1970s, you you had numbers that were solidly in the 40 millions as far as number of viewers for the Oscars. Now, there was one year where there was a little bit of a drop-off, but... Um, solidly in the 40 millions. Then you get into the 80s. There was even a year where there were 50-plus million. The pinnacle of Oscar viewership. You want to take a guess when it was, Dave? 89? Nope. Think a little more recent. Oh, okay. Uh, how about uh, 95? No, I'll say 97 with Titanic. How about that? 1998. That would have been the Titanic yes. year. Okay. Fresh off of Titanic, which was a Titanic success at the box office. <laughs> Ha. What you did yeah, big, big success at the box office. And so in 1998, Dave, a remarkable 57.2 million people tuned in for the Oscars to watch Celine Dion one of them. absolutely bring the house down with My Heart Will Go On and to watch Titanic absolutely clean up with the awards that it won. Like, what a... What a massive touchstone moment there for the Oscars, where you not only have the years and one of the year's most successful film in terms of at the box office and one of the biggest films of all time raking it in. You have that, and it also had the clout of critical success and award show success as well. And when you put those two together, you have an absolute dynamo, and you have. A, a show that many people were tuned in for. The Oscars were never more relevant than they were at that moment. I think you nailed something right there. Not only was it a critical darling, Titanic, but it was huge at the box office. And I think to this day, it's still the third most profitable movie of all time ever. It's number three on the list. Uh, only Avatar and Avengers Endgame have beaten it. 
Um, I don't think that includes inflation, of course, but we've talked about that before. But this is a movie that everyone saw. Everybody saw it. I mean, trying to get into a theater to see it, it took a couple of attempts because it was so long for one and it was so popular for the other. It was also one that was critically praised. It was really, really well done. That doesn't usually happen. Pop quiz. What movie just won Best Picture last week? Can you remember? Nomadland. Okay, that took a moment there. That awkward pause tells you something, you know. It's like American Idol. Who won last year? Uh, uh, it's more about the spectacle than it is about what's got the staying power to it. Titanic did, did, and does. Right. And so you don't usually have that. You, you might run into a controversy thing where Shakespeare in Love wins over over Private Ryan. Oh, my And that's word. considered one of the biggest snubs of all time. More people clearly went to and loved uh, Saving Private Ryan than Shakespeare in Love to the point now yeah. I've seen... How many times since then have I seen just flipping channels? I'm landing on not Shakespeare in Love, but Saving Private Ryan. I don't think five years after the fact, I don't think I saw Shakespeare in Love show up anywhere. So the 90s, yeah, the 90s were a great decade as far as the Oscars, and, and that year was the, the pinnacle, not just for the, the Oscars as far as the 90s, but the Oscars all time. That was a pinnacle year. Then the 2000s hit, and then the mix of movies that were of interest at the Oscars, started to drift away from the mainstream more and more by the year, I think. 2003, there was a major drop-off in number of viewers, down to a mere 33 million. And I think that was the lowest, the lowest rated Oscars of all time. Well, what happened? The following year, 2004, 2003, Chicago was the Best Picture winner. Not a lot of big-time movies were in the running for big-time awards that year either. 2004, though, back up to 43 million. Why do you think that that was such a refreshed viewership, Dave? What movie came? What was the big movie in 2003 that would have been at the 2004 Oscars? I can't remember what movie that would have been. Well, it'd have been some kind of movie. If you're listening at home, maybe you've maybe you've guessed by now. The Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King, oh, that's right. which was enormous at the box office and was an enormous success at the Academy Awards, taking home a ton of awards, including Best Picture. I remember watching the Oscars as a kid, specifically because of that, watching Billy Crystal sing some crazy a crazy song to the tune of These Are a Few of My Favorite Things, and he was mixing in the names of, of characters from the, from the Return of the King, mixing in other stuff from other movies. So they got great viewership that year. That was... That was one of the last big years of of the Oscars, and then the decline started after well, that. One of the, I think, a contributing factor is something we've touched on before in other episodes, where Hollywood's model of what's coming out into theaters is starting to shift. A lot of these smaller, independent-sized movies are kind of skipping theaters, and now with streaming going directly that route, while Hollywood, they're focused on the mainstream in a big way, and I don't just mean little ways. I mean major tentpole movies, and that's about all that the studios are doing. Right? They might distribute something smaller, but it didn't used to be like that. You had big-name talent, directors, producers, and a lot of push behind it to get these movies out and seen. And now, I mean, it's not just this year with Nomadland that was just you know strictly on streaming, but even beyond that, here are the nominees for the so-and-so Oscars. I don't know this person. I've never seen this movie. I've never heard of this. That's where you start losing the disconnect because you have nothing to connect to. Yeah, this this past decade, the, the decline has been especially steep. Going back to 2010, 
2009 was was a really solid year at the box office. Avatar was a big reason why. 2011, I think, had a terrific group of movies up for Best Picture. There were some really excellent movies that were that were up for Best Best Picture. Both of those years, really good mix. 2014, there were 43.7 million people who tuned in for the Oscars that year. That was the year 12 Years a Slave um, ended up winning for for Best Picture. Um, again, a, a pretty good mix of movies that were out there, and they had some well-known people within those movies. Like there, there was Gravity, there was American Hustle that year. So there, there was still some pooling power. But since then, thirty-seven point two, thirty-four point three, thirty-two point nine, twenty-six point five, twenty-nine point six—a little bump in twenty nineteen, um, and then twenty-three point six in twenty twenty, and then a mere ten point four million. Uh, tuning in here this year. And of course, they tried to shake things up a little bit um, with having the, the show at that station and then um, doing the uh, um, trying to make it into a film courtesy of Steven Soderbergh and his best efforts, but it just did not come off. I mean, this year they, they tried to change the format since it was a COVID-impacted event more so this year. They tried to change the format of it. It flopped miserably. I mean, they didn't play any clips there were no clips that they played of of the movies themselves. The in memoriam was very really small, fast. yeah, and very quick. Um, oddly, so when that has been such an emotional part of the Oscars in, re, in in past years, they decided to go with more speeches. Like, why are you going with more speeches? They they've gotten. They've gotten to almost eat each other alive with having hosts in recent years. There have been various controversies that have kept different people from hosting. It's become an we're going to eat ourselves alive kind of thing as far as that goes. So what we have, Dave, is a decline that has become even more sharply exasperated by this past year. And I remember reading things before the Oscars of don't bother with how the ratings are going to look. Don't bother with the ratings. They're going to be down. Don't bother with them. I don't think anyone could have predicted they were going to be down as much as they were, though. I did. You you did. I did. That strong. Well, maybe some of those people knew, okay, they're going to be down. They were down egregiously so, and enough that here we are talking about what to do about it or what where is the disconnect that's happening here. I have a few thoughts you have a few thoughts, though, about it, too. Well, just real quick on this year, who saw the movies this year? Exactly. The movies that had the biggest bank, probably Wonder Woman 1984 as far as like box office. But I mean, even then, it was connected to HBO Max, so their subscribership was brand new at that point, and that was one of the big things to bring them in. Uh, and it came out for a box office run for a while, too. But it wasn't, was it nominated for anything? I mean, even no. special effects, I don't think it made anything. Tenant won? Yeah, Tenant won. But and that might be one of the other bigger bank movies, and that was kind of a, the canary in the coal mine this last summer, and even it faltered. But I mean, it's not because it wasn't a good movie; it's because people didn't go see the movie, right? Because they didn't want to run the risk, and that's the problem. Any of these movies that were up for anything prestigious, what was their pull? How many people did they? How many eyeballs did they attract? Not many, because it's hard to track the numbers when it's on a on a private server like a streaming service. They don't have to release those numbers. Box office is something different. So the number, you can't get an exact number as to how many people went to see it when it came out. 
there used to be a point where there might be a movie that would come out that people didn't really hear about until they realized it's really getting great reviews from a critical standpoint. Well, I don't really care about guys running down a beach, but let's go see Chariots of Fire, you know, that won Best Picture. It's not the kind of movie that's going to, wow, I can't wait to see that. But when it gets nominated... Are you well, kidding? That's how I feel when I decide I'm going to watch it on a given well, evening. now, because it's been out <laughs> and you know it's already you know received. But if Chariots of Fire was a brand new movie that's coming out tomorrow... What is? Who cares about guys running down a beach? You might, but you were a track star, and you like the beach. I didn't, I didn't run track, but I, <laughs> I like the concept of the movie and, and the yeah. premise of it. So, anyway. But then you get things that might be depressing, but it's really, really, really good. Um, so you go see these things. It, it doesn't seem to be that way, and there's such an exclusivity issue we're running into now where, oh, this is only on Hulu. Well, I don't have Hulu. I'm not going to subscribe to Hulu just to go see the movie about the such and such. I guess I'll see it when it comes around. See, now you don't see it. And so this is a contributing problem because you have nothing to connect you to any of the movies that are being honored at the Oscars. I like Frances McDormand. Got to meet her once. Pretty cool. Seems like a nice gal. She was, real quick, she was in Fargo, you know. She was Marge Gunderson, and they filmed that in my hometown. And I went to the station that was for the, it was supposed to be the Brainerd police station, but it was actually down in the Twin Cities. And I didn't know who the Coen brothers were at the time. They were filming some movie, and there's this girl, Frances McDormand. I think I'd seen her in Dark Man before, but hey, nice to meet you. That's all it was. I was all excited about that when you said that at first. Then I realized, hey, we talked about that in our Hollywood yep. and us one that we had. Just a brief recap. Yeah. But other than that, you know, there wasn't that much as a lot of new rising stars that were, you know, in front of and behind the camera. And that's awesome. But it's hard to connect with someone that you don't know yet, you know, but you get those veterans that come back. Everyone loves seeing Jack Nicholson at the Oscars, but you haven't seen him at the Oscars for a while because he's kind of done. But that's something to connect you. You know, you, what's, right. what's Jack going to do? Oh, he just hit on Jennifer Lawrence. That was so awesome. That's so Jack. But that stuff isn't happening. You don't remember that. Behind the scenes. Okay. No, I just doesn't matter. That. Doesn't matter. It's just, it's one of those where when you have less things to connect to, you have less reason to cheer for it. You know, the, the Minnesota Twins knew it when they had a whole new crew. The Minnesota Twins get to know them. And that was all their scripts were about. And so you got to meet these guys in an interesting way, connect with them, go pay your tickets to go see them. And the Twins started to turn around and they did good. We're not having something like that with the Oscars where a lot of these people are relatively unknown and people didn't have the access to go see their projects. Well, and the movies themselves are not super well-known either. Yeah. Look at look at the effect that the success of the tentpole movies, some of the biggest movies that are also critically acclaimed, has has done for the Oscars. Um, that was one of the biggest reasons that they expanded the field, or a reason why they expanded the, the best picture field, was to have a more open slate. Like, a maximum of 10, you know, opening it up, but somewhere between 5 and 10 as far as the number of movies that could be up for the biggest award. Partially, to allow for the opportunity for major tentpole movies to, to be able to get in the running. And to be able to be there. And and if they would be critically acclaimed and much beloved as far as people going to the box office, why not have them be up for a chance for the big prize? Here's a prime example from just the last couple of years. Avengers Endgame. The, the biggest movie in history in terms of amount of money that has come in for it. Now, not adjusting for inflation. I, I better preface with that too. But... 
the biggest movie of all time when it comes to amount of money that came in. How did it do critically, Dave? Uh, depended on your overall, it was positive. Yes, that's that's the main point. Overall, it was very very positive. People loved it. Really good critically. Fans really liked it too. Why would it not then garner more consideration to be in the hunt for a major award? Wouldn't ooh, that ooh, wouldn't ooh, that create ooh. some big buzz? Yes, my hand, my hand is yes, up. Yes, you over there. You in the back with the hair. Go for it. Because Martin Scorsese said it's not really cinema. <laughs> I got it right. That, <laughs> you did. That's that's correct. Um, those within the industry, I think, poo pooed it away like that. But but isn't isn't that just kind of the nature of of Hollywood, where they they lose sight of the fact that people liked the movie. People liked it. But it's not so, to all scale. Right. Hoof. But but there's there's part of the disconnect that we are talking about here with with this very topic. I mean, Scorsese's comments like that, they were extremely short sighted because they they lost sight of just how important a movie like that was for the cinema landscape. Yes, it's a superhero movie. Yes, it's a movie to entertain. That's what movies are about. We're gonna. I'm gonna get back to that here in a little bit. But that's well, what it's all about. And and it was a much enjoyed movie too. So why not? Why not reflect that a little bit when it came to and I mean an all star cast. It was so very well done. It was a really good conclusion to that part of the the Marvel story. Why not reflect that a little bit with even. Maybe a seat at the table for Best Picture, even if it wouldn't win. Well, let's expand. It's not just about a superhero thing. Let's expand a little bit and cross over here into music, where we I think we have familiar territory, where The Weeknd, the singer, is going to boycott the Grammys and did this last year and says, even though they've changed the rules, he intends to still boycott the Grammys because there's just a not enough uh, inclusivity, as he's called it, and other reasons, too. He calls on secret committees behind the scenes at the Grammys to secretly wield who's nominated, who wins. A lot of people with great music, great albums don't get nominated at all. You could make the same case about uh, films as well. And there's been some instances where it was a legitimate snub. Funny enough, we just watched The Sting at the house the other night. Robert Redford and Paul Newman, 1973, won Best Picture. Paul Newman wasn't even nominated. You know, Redford was. He didn't win, but he was nominated for Best uh, Lead Actor, and and Paul Newman wasn't. That's a straight-up snub. But, I mean, it's... That's very strange. Yeah, it's it's strange, but, you know, what can you pin it to? Well, nothing, really. He just didn't get in, I guess. Okay, he'd win later The Color of Money, and I think he won another one, maybe. But, anyway, uh, so you got to run into the possibilities. What's really wielding stuff behind the scenes here right so are there like in the grammy issues are there secret committees kind of like scorsese well we can't nominate that because it's not really cinema it's not up it's not like us it's not prestigious you look at the other best actors and best directors and best pictures that have won throughout the decades it's not on that level it's not haughty taughty enough think of a major big budget tentpole movie that ever did win Best picture. I mean, there are some. Titanic, we've mentioned. Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Gladiator. But that was sort of. I don't know if it. Yeah, halfway tentpole. Yes, but it was Ridley Scott. 
You've got, you know, these names that are associated. Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe, Crow, but he Joaquin was just becoming Phoenix. a name. True. You know, he at that point, who's Russell Crowe? Oh, he's the guy in Gladiator. But that was an epic, though, too. Yeah. I mean, that, that certainly helped as well. I mean, that was a that that's a big time kind and of a Ridley movie. Scott epic. Yes. Which in and of itself, that's its own subgenre. Oh, you'd love it. It's a Ridley Scott epic. Oh, well, okay. That's enough for a lot of people. Plus, you're talking about the height of theatrics with the Roman Empire. I mean, does it get much more theatric? Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is that why you actually are here? I screwed that line up, but Is this uh, not why you are here? Is this not why you are here? This is it, it just it wasn't them. You know, it wasn't part oh, we're not wearing capes and face masks and you know, special abilities. Uh, it can't be best picture. So people are dismissing it on those merits. Didn't Superman in nineteen seventy eight get nominated for best picture? Yeah. The Dark Knight arguably should have been back yeah. in two thousand eight, going yeah. into oh nine. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's another example. So it has to be a movie that Dark is, Knight's part of why they changed the rules. How come the Oscars, you can look back in time and see many example after many example after many example where people say they lost touch and something won that probably shouldn't have won. Now, I understand controversy is always going to be a part of this. You know, did Marissa Tomei deserve the best actress win for My Cousin Vinny? That's a debate. She's a very good actress and she did a very good role. And if you ever talk to Marissa Tomei as herself, not acting, she's nothing like Mona Lisa Vito. Is that what was her name, character name, right? I don't know. I think it was. I'm just thinking that George Costanza would have wanted her to win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, should Whoopi Goldberg have won for Ghost? Yes, she did a great part in that. I mean, she nailed it. She brought the humanity to that whole epic and made it work. You know, so not everyone's going to agree, but then there are some where, yeah, I can't believe that Shawshank straight up bombed at the box office and wasn't nominated for anything by people who weren't looking at box office, but were looking at autistic merit. And the English patient took the win over the over Shawshank. Same thing with Saving Private Ryan and Shakespeare in Love. When was the last time you saw a Shakespeare in Love anywhere? It hasn't really lived on. You know what I mean? But others do. Sometimes the Academy straight up gets it wrong. So how is that if they are the most versed in what makes a movie good and why they are so out of touch with what everybody else thinks? Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater as we discuss fixing the oscars and ways to fix the oscars but dave you have brought forth i I think a big a big element of this that i that i want to get into and it it goes outside of the night itself by the way speaking of the night itself it's worth mentioning award shows in general have had declining ratings i want i'll get back to sort of what keeps the entertainment with them here in a little bit but let's step outside of the room for a minute let's talk about Hollywood in general, movies in general, and the way that the Oscars kind of kind of reflect this. What was one of the biggest things that they focused on a few years ago? Improving diversity and improving like let's let's have more of an opportunity for a seat at the table for um, for minority projects that that might be going on that are really really good. And so we've seen that here in recent years, and it has been there's been an improvement in that regard. But one of the problems, like you said, is that these are movies that not a lot of people are seeing, and so there's not a lot of interest in them. Well, what have we seen here in the, in the last couple of years? Think about Crazy Rich Asians. Think about Black Panther. You've got minority strength in those movies, and those were very popular movies. They, they were people 
I mean, there there were a lot of people going to see those movies and who really enjoyed those movies a lot. Black Panther so much so that it was in the running for for Best Picture and many different awards. Um, and was a superhero movie. Yes, and and yet, what did those what did those movies reflect? They reflected that you can do that that you can create more in terms of representation opportunity and do so in a way that a lot of people will watch and enjoy and in Black Panther's case enough to give it some merit and consideration for some awards so why not do more of that and yet do so with entertainment like with entertaining movies those were entertaining movies one was a romantic comedy that gave a jolt of life to a a genre that has really really gone dormant here in recent years another was a different take on a superhero movie but it was an adventure it was an adventure film it was an action film it was something a lot of people really wanted to go see and really enjoyed so i i think what we've seen in recent years with these movies that are up for best picture for the oscars like even last year parasite a movie that that ended up going on to win and was a a groundbreaking kind of moment as far as international films getting consideration but with these movies there's there's such a a dour and in some cases depressing and in some cases biting tone so much so that that's the kind of movie that we're that's the kind of movie that warrants consideration rather than an entertaining movie that also happens to be really good why why can't we have more movies that are going that direction not that you not that you completely dismiss out of hand movies that that have more of a darker tone to them a substantial tone one that one that has maybe some deeper themes that you know, it feels like every every one of these movies has has some kind that's up for best picture or something has these themes that they are bashing you over the head with, and a lot of it is guilt type of stuff. Or this is a social kind of theme that we are bringing here that we're we're going to sledgehammer you over the head with here and make you feel guilty about. Why can't we have some movies like that that are in the running rather than all? The movies seemingly feeling like they have that element to them. Where's the entertainment part with with some of these movies that are in the running? Why can't you entertain and have, again, representation? We've seen that with movies like Crazy Rich Asians, like Black Panther. Why can't we have some really entertaining movies that a lot of people are going to see, too? Getting more consideration and more in the mix like that rather than... We've got to make a very gritty project that leaves us all kind of feeling hollow and and just kind of kind of punched in the stomach afterward. You don't want to take all of those away, but maybe we shouldn't have all of them being the ones that are getting consideration. Yeah, I think you've touched on something. I think affirmative action in the movies is is a thing and it's a complicated thing you know you I, on the one hand you want to give opportunities on the other hand you don't want to have somebody brought up to the big game simply because they qualify under something else you know uh, you can look at something like say the color purple you know it's a, it's a great movie it gave us Whoopi Goldberg and it was directed by Steven Spielberg which you you kind of forget about You're like wait what a movie all about you know black People back in the Prohibition era, yeah, directed by Spielberg. Really? Yes. 
it but you know Quincy Jones was involved in it. It uh, Whoopi Goldberg was not known at that time, other than being a kind of a, a cross between a stand-up comedian and like a one-woman show on Broadway kind of thing, where she talked about social issues in a funny way. Remind me again what year that was? Nineteen eighty-five. Wow, I okay. think it was eighty-four, somewhere in there. Yeah, it's a great movie. And it's one that is entertaining and certainly talks about the issues. I mean, you're talking about Prohibition era Deep South, but it was well done. And you had, at this point, had just become established as Hollywood royalty at the director's helm. Spielberg, at this era in his career, could do no wrong. And I don't know if he ever really could, to tell you the honest truth. I love Spielberg. Anyway, uh, and I love Whoopi Goldberg, too. You know, her, her issues are her issues, but uh, she's very, very entertaining. You cannot, you cannot take that away from her. And this was a great one. She was up for... Academy Award on it. Anyway, um, yeah, these are movies that need to be told, but movies like The Help, very much about social change, but done in a very entertaining way. It's a great movie, and I got to imagine for folks that grew up in that era in the 60s or 50s down in the Deep South, that's a difficult movie to watch. My dad grew up in Missouri, and he didn't really like that movie. I had a feeling that it you know, kind of touched base with him a little bit, hmm. um, but it is what it is, but it was also at the heart entertaining. When I get brought to school... And that's all it is, a school. It's educational, it's informational, but was it entertaining? If it's not, and if you walk, I don't like movies where you walk out feeling deflated. And there are some that are like that. And granted, in some cases, you kind of need that. And the deer, right. at the end of The Deer Hunter, one of the lead characters doesn't make it out of the end. He, you know, he's done a game of Russian roulette that doesn't end well. You know, you kind of walk out deflated after that. Well, you kind of needed it. That was one of the big impacts of the movie. But at the same time, yeah. it was an entertaining movie. It was a great movie, and it was all about social issues going on following Vietnam and, and, and a lot of that. That makes me think of the Manchurian Candidate. Yeah. You leave that feeling so, like, you just feel so punched in the gut with that, and yet there there are a lot of issues that get brought up in that movie that were very much of the time with um, with McCarthyism and with um, with fears of, of you know, what was be- taking place as far as communism and and its influences and reaches but um but at the same time again you need a you need some of those movies that are like that that provide that it can't all be entertainment but it can't all be punch in the gut you got to feel badly about this or maybe you need to consider like this social issue or something they can't all be like that the movies are the movies are about entertainment, too. And what's wrong with a little allegory? We've talked, we, oh, did, we did stories about absolutely. Star Trek, where Star Trek at its best, particularly on the small screen, were allegories about things that at the time you weren't allowed to talk about. You couldn't talk about the war in Vietnam, so they didn't. They came up with a different Cold War in outer space and brought in the Klingons, which represented the Soviet threat. So you're very much talking about contemporary issues, but masked under such and such. Depending on whether you believe it or not, it's been said, and by people that had a little something to do with the, the creation of it, that like the X-Men is really an allegory about homosexuality. It's about being different and being able to accept that it's different. The Wachowskis had said that the Matrix movies were really about transgenderism because you're in one world one thing and in another world another thing. And even Keanu Reeves had said, I never picked up on that ever, but okay, cool. But did did you pick up on that when you saw the movies? I never did until somebody said something. I don't know if I'm like, well, I okay, that might be the case, but I could see it as other things too, and that's the point, you know. So it is a topic about something that's social, but at the same time, it's very much not. And if you're not looking at it through that perspective, you won't see it. 
And what's wrong with that either? Because if you dig a little deeper, and if there's any truth to that, interesting. Maybe it makes you think a little bit about something that you might not have otherwise. You identified with something in one perspective, but if you look at it through the way that the filmmakers have now said, well, actually, it's an allegory for da 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 then maybe you start thinking about it in a different way, and maybe that's the start of where, right now, this is a very interesting era that we live. It's almost like the 60s, in a way, as far as social upheaval and civil rights and a lot of other things, and it's not the most comfortable time, and it's a bit of a very condensed period of time. Um, maybe thinking about things like that, the way they did with allegories back in the 60s, maybe some of that today wouldn't be the worst thing either. If all we do is start thinking about things in a different way, maybe... And then maybe something like that gets reflected into the Oscars. And this movie spoke to me on a level about something or a really good performance or, my God, I've never walked out of a theater with that kind of a feeling before. And that's how you get people to connect with the movie. And that's how you get people basically going into the Oscars like it's a sporting event. Boy, I sure hope that so-and-so wins. Yeah, because then you've got more that are in there, more movies that are in there that have appealed to more of a broader audience like a lot of the movies i think you just nailed it appealed to yes that were up for best picture in the past there were so many of them that did appeal to and had been watched by larger audiences but i think there's there's another thing that we've been picking around um throughout the course of this that that also we got into a little bit more so in that last discussion and that is there are many disconnects that the oscars reflect there's there's a disconnect, like you had, had mentioned regarding Scorsese's comments about about the Avengers Endgame. There is a disconnect between the entertainment side of Hollywood and and the artistic side as well. And I think the Oscars reflects that. But he, I think even more so, the disconnect between Hollywood and society in general uh, is on full display during the Oscars and. I think we've seen that in recent years where the Oscars used to be a very entertaining show. You know, think about Billy Crystal hosting the Oscars. You know, you you are going to be entertained. Think about some of the some of the comedians who have who have hosted uh the show over the years who have really entertained. It it's it's a performance. It's a it's a it's just at its best having a really good time. Having performances, musical numbers, playing clips from the movies, enjoying some some clips from the movies themselves, hearkening back to the past a little bit as well. Think I love some of the montages. They they give me a chill up my spine when I see some of those awesome montages that are put together of movies through the years set to some music and and maybe it's surrounding some kind of theme and ode to the past as we enjoy the present. that I love those kinds of moments. But the show has become, again, it's, it's proof of the disconnect that's there in Hollywood because, again, it goes back to that issue of they are not entertaining us with this. It's a, you ought to feel bad about this issue. You ought to feel bad about that issue. Um and it, it, it just beating you over the head with it. You know, Ricky Gervais made uh, made some interesting comments about people in Hollywood uh, a few years ago. The with, Golden Globes. Yes, yeah. yes. And he wasn't totally wrong no. about it. And, and the Oscars reflect that a little bit. You have these, You have these actors, you have these filmmakers who are getting up on stage, and they are telling us 
how to feel badly about about this or that. Maybe maybe they are important social issues. Maybe they are important social issues that yeah, we've got to we've got to address. But do we need every one of you telling us about this when you in fact perhaps are not doing very much about it yourself and yet you are coming up here and telling us what an awful bunch of people you are and we are about all of this. We get enough of that in the news as it is. We get it we get plenty of that. We don't need all of you telling us this. We the movies the movies are about entertainment and about whatever themes message they might and have. messages. Absolutely. But it's about both of them. It's about both of those things coming together. And the entertainment part has been lost as we talked about a little bit earlier. And the Oscars I think reflect that disconnect and they also, again, with these people trying to tell us how to live our lives and do things, they are people who are in an insulated world and a completely different world, and it sometimes reflects with the comments that they make and with the things that they do, and they're telling us all these things, and I think for middle-class America, they're looking at this going, I don't need, I don't want this. I don't need you telling me this. You are not the kind of person I need to be hearing this from. The message, the messages are sometimes right. Absolutely. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they I don't know why they are telling us this and I don't think they're the and it, but I don't think they're even the right people to be telling us this because they they live they live lives that are so completely different from ours in many respects and I think there's a great disconnect that has happened to the common folk, quote unquote, as a result. And again, I think the entertainment issue that I talked about earlier has has reflected that. And I think that's this has the soul of the movies. This was the big point I had coming into this episode, Dave. The soul of the movies is about having an entertainment element to it as well. You can make your messages, you can convey your messages, you can you can have representation involved. You need to be doing those things, absolutely. But are you gonna entertain? Are you gonna entertain? Sometimes a little entertainment is not something to feel guilty about. It can be a very good thing, and you can make your point through it, too. I agree. I understand the idea behind, I'm on a big, big platform. Here's a chance to get a message out where millions are seeing it, whether that's at a sporting event, whether that's at the Oscars, whether that's on a podcast. Uh, I get it. And there's There are instances like that, but it, I agree that the ratio has shifted and everybody who's coming up to win whatever trophy it is, they have their own thing to talk about. And that's not to say that there aren't... And often it's a guilt trip. Maybe. Uh, in some cases, yes. In other cases, it's truly pointing out... I remember, again, Frances McDormand when she'd won for the billboards in Missouri... Uh, talking about uh, inclusive riders so that women and men are getting paid the same amount. You know, you've got a guy and a gal sharing co-top billing and one is getting paid millions more than the other. You know, and this other, the actress, let's say, any actress is showing up just in as many big movies that do well at the box office and get nominated for Oscars and so forth. Why isn't she getting, you know, payment like a Julia Roberts type? You know, there is something to be said about that. Or at the very least, if it's an art movie and we don't think it's going to, okay, then how come this guy's getting paid so much more than me and I'm doing just as much, if not more, of the heavy lifting, so to speak? There's something to be said about that, you know, and maybe bringing it up at the Oscars as you go up to win Best Actress, you know, then when you when you hear Frances McDormand talking about that, 
that's I, I get it, you know. But then the next one wins a such such award, and they come up with their own special message. For a long time, it was the AIDS ribbon that everyone was wearing. It was always about causes and things, and I get it and I support it. But at some point, even the most delicate chocolate dish becomes too rich, and I can't eat anymore. It's really, really good, and I really enjoy it. And this is one of the best desserts I've ever had. But it is so rich, I can't take it anymore. I can't. I have I have to send it back, and it, it kind of gets to that point. So now we're talking about the message and not the entertainment. And I agree with this. The soul of the movies is to entertain, and maybe it's got a message. Most movies do, to some degree, have some kind of a theme. You might have to look a little, okay, I found the theme. But it's there, a commentary, a satire on dot, 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 whatever it is. You get some of these great names that turn out, when they don't have a script in front of them written by somebody witty and you know intelligent are the least interesting and entertaining people you've ever seen. Not in all cases. Some people are straight up entertaining and they could, I mean, like Carrie Fisher, for example, was a, what was known as a script doctor. And she would, in addition to act, would help write scripts. Maybe not write the full story, but she would punch it up. The script would already be written and then she'd go up and usually with dialogue between men and women, she would punch it up and make it better. And she did this credited and uncredited on a lot of movies. And what it does is it makes a real difference in what it is that you're going to see. And inclusivity. And I was going somewhere with this and I completely derailed the train here too. Gah! You were on a good run there though. I was on a run. I was I was making my way to a point and I just completely, there's between uh, some distractions going on that have, uh, in the background that have distracted me from my train of thought. But uh, anyway, I'll, I'll yield the floor. I was I lost my train of thought. I apologize. But I, I think all of that to say that there's been a disconnect that has, that has happened. And I think, that, yes, you got your thought. I got my thought back. So you get people like Carrie Fisher who you can just put her in front of a microphone with no script, no idea what she's going to say, and she'll come up with something entertaining. I remember when Hugh Laurie won, uh, I think it was at Golden Globe for his role on House, and he says got a lot of people to thank, which is one of the things in the Oscars that you understand you have people to thank, but it's so boring, I don't care. He had every name that he needed to thank in his pocket. He said, I'm going to pull out three names. And whoever the name he pulled is who he was going to thank. And funny enough, he pulled out one of the names. No, no, not you. And threw it away and grabbed a different name. That was funny. It was entertaining. You know, I get it. You know, it's you're trying to make fun in a situation, but then you get these people that won Best Actor. They were out there to really entertain you, and then they start talking in a very monotone voice about things that you don't care about, and, well, that's great that you won, but so you know, thank your hairdresser and blah, blah, blah. And they'll go on for a long time, try to get played off the stage, and they're still going. You know, I think it was Jonathan Demme when he won Best Director for Silence of the Lambs. I think he talked for 30 minutes. They tr- I mean, literally, they tried to play him off and he wasn't having it. And 30 minutes later, he's still going. You know, things like that, I-, I think at that point, I don't know how old I was, but it was time for me to get out of there. You know, and of course, it's at the end of the show anyway. Um, you-, you get the most interesting people that are not so interesting when they have nothing to say, but they have people to thank. You know, I don't want to watch that and then go through it again. If there were four Jonathan Demi performances like that in a row, I'd be out. You know, especially to start the show. So you need to find ways to make it interesting. Look, we know you have people to thank. We know you got this. Maybe you trade it and you say, look, we understand you want to say thanks. Just say thanks in that, in just those many words, thank you. 
and then say something interesting. And then tomorrow you could take out a full page ad in Variety or whatever and thank the people that you needed to thank so it's in the trades and people can see it and everyone that needs to be thanked reads those publications and you don't bore half of the world in America thanking guys you've never heard of. Just say thank you to the Academy and everybody. That's all you need to say. Maybe a special thanks. My mom's watching tonight. Thanks, Mom. This is for you. That's awesome. You know, but then leave it at that and go on and say something. And if you can't, then get off the stage. Hitchcock, when he won, what did he say for his entire speech? Thank you. And turned around and walked off. That's all he said. <laughs> and that in its own way is kind of memorable. Classic. Yeah. Sounds like the kind of thing a guy like him would do. Suspenseful, because you think he might say something else. That's right. In his Hitchcock way, you think he would have a little bit more to share with you. So let's talk about the entertainment value and how far down that rabbit hole can you go with the Oscars, which is prestigious. I mean, you walk at the, maybe not these days, I haven't watched the MTV Movie Awards for years, and I think I tuned in a few years ago, and they even those have fallen. They're just not what they were. They used to be, abs- I don't care what was going on this summer weekend, I'm coming home early so I can watch the MTV Movie Awards because they were fun, but can you transfer the uh, or transform the Oscars into something resembling the MTV Movie Awards? Dave, what's one of the musical numbers from Singing in the Rain? Well, that's one of the title tracks right there. Yes, but not that one. I don't know. Make them laugh! Oh. Make them laugh! Make them laugh! Make them laugh! Entertain! Yeah, I mean, make them laugh. You know, think about that kind of that that kind of mentality of it. You know, make them laugh, make it enjoyable, and not not with some cheesy plastic banter between two people who are about to present an award. You know, who uh, who clearly have not practiced this very much at all, and they they think they're funny in their own right. But no, you're not really all that funny. Make make them laugh. You know, make them cry. You know, th- things like that. You know that that you do with with the Oscars. You know, do that as far as Bring back a host. Bring back somebody who kind of ties together the evening. Don't eat each other alive so much next time with with bringing a host on. Yeah, do some vetting. Make sure that they're the right kind of person to be hosting it, but don't eat each other alive over who's going to be hosting and what controversy can we dig up on this person. Again, sometimes there are some legitimate controversies that you've got to look into with some of these people, but don't eat each other alive over this, okay? Bring back a host. Have someone who ties the evening and the room together, and let's let's watch clips from these movies a little bit, shall we? Let's enjoy some clips from this. Let's have some nods to the past. Let's enjoy some musical performances. Let's let's have a little bit of all of that. Let's Let's make them laugh. Let's make them cry. Let's let's get back to the enjoyment. Uh, again, I think the movies and the Oscars, I think they both have similar kinds uh, – movies of today and the Oscars of today, I think they've got similar kinds of, of issues to, to look at as far as, hey, you want to have people watching? Make them laugh. Make them cry. Entertain. Entertain. I think there's a lot of something to put on the hosts, but then there's something else to think about. If the viewership was so down, then how is that the host's fault? You know, it's it's you don't go to see a movie and find out that it's a horrible movie and that reflects in the box office. No, you went to see the movie that goes toward positive box office, and only then you found out it wasn't very good. That's why you have Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen in the top ten of that year because it's a horrible movie. But you have Shawshank, which bombed, and it's one of the best movies out there. 
it reflects who went to see the movie. Same thing with watching the Oscars. If the numbers are down, it didn't matter how good the host did because people weren't watching it to find out how well the host did or didn't do. There have been some memorable moments that the hosts have been responsible for in positive ways and in some cases negative ways that don't reflect in the viewership numbers. And I don't believe that, well, who's hosting this year? Chris Rock? Well, I don't like Chris Rock. So I'm not going to watch the Oscars. You're not watching the Oscars for the host. I mean, that's the cherry and sprinkles on top. The meat and potatoes of this whole thing are the movies. If it wasn't a great year for movies, like 2021, that's going to reflect in the Oscars. You know, when you start getting a box office that returns in 2021, which I think at best it's going to be halfway. So next year's Oscars, I'm predicting this in May of 2021, that February, March, April, whenever they hold the next Oscars, they were late this year. Uh, are going to be are going to be down again. They might be up from this year's, but they're not going to be back to normal because this isn't going to be a normal year. End of story. I don't care if they bring Hugh Hefner back from the dead to host the Oscars. It's not going to be a good Oscar ceremony. I've just predicted it. So it's not about that. I can remember instances where I think it was uh, Wonder Woman herself, Gal Gadot, and Chris Pine brought snacks and things into a next-door movie theater where they were screening Wonder Woman, and they stopped the movie in the middle of the movie, like, what, what, huh? and here comes Wonder Woman and the cast that you just saw on the screen. Hey, we're from the Oscars next door. We wanted to bring you some snacks. That was memorable for them. It's fun to see that kind of interaction. Anyway, that was memorable in a lot of ways. When Ellen DeGeneres did the big selfie thing, that was kind of fun, you know? Brought, that got the, a lot of attention, I got yeah. pizza for the, everybody here, and here come some unsuspecting guys from Murray's Pizza or wherever down the street who now just got brought onto the stage, and the whole world is watching, and he's uh, watching him get nervous. That's fun. Those are fun, upbeat moments. I remember good times when Steve, uh, when Steve Martin and Alec Baldwin co-hosted the Oscars. Yes. Together. They work well together. That was fun, and they were both funny. But the Oscars numbers are down. Oh, too bad for Steve and Alec. They had nothing to do with the numbers coming down. They made the best of a situation that was already having a disconnect at that point. And at that point... You're both you're arguing over the window seat on the Hindenburg. No point. You and know again, you're already going down. So what are you arguing about? And again, the self seriousness I think just drives it even further down. And I I think that's been lost here. And that that idea has been has not been considered enough. That hey, maybe you are being too self serious regarding regarding all these different things. Again, you have to take the issues into consideration and some important ones too, certainly, but don't get so self-serious to the point where people are like, I, I came here to be entertained too, and I'm not being entertained at all. And when I am being entertained, I feel like you are trying to make me feel bad about something. Yeah, I think you've hit on something. I think, I, I don't know what you want to call it. Let's call it the country club mentality. You know, the, I think that's absolutely it. Yeah, country club mentality within within Hollywood that then they try to take on the common person. Oh, absolutely. And common person can mean somebody that is nominated for an Oscar. You know, well, they haven't been around long enough. They they shouldn't be nominated. It's good that you're here, kid, but we'll see you the next time go around. Why? Why? I was showed up and I I nailed it out of the park my first go around. So, you know, there, and other people on the opposite side say, well, it's a shame and a real crime that Al Pacino never won an Oscar until Scent of a Woman. It wasn't The Godfather or any of those, or Scarface or anything else. It was the midpoint of his career that he no, finally over, and I think deservingly so. Don't even get so. me started on Peter O'Toole. Yeah, I mean, you, there's a lot of those cases, too, where it went too long. Look, if you make a movie and you did a good job and so much so that you get nominated, then 
good. You belong there. But that mentality that says you don't is a problem. And just the Oscars in and of themselves. And here's where the problem goes. How entertaining are you going to go? Because the more entertaining that you are, so to speak, the less glitz you have. Because the Golden Globes, what made them so entertaining, especially when it was Ricky Gervais, was that it was a Golden Globes with a two-drink minimum, including the host, who was probably half in the bag by the end of the show anyway. But it was memorable, and the best part about it was that it was truth, and everybody knew it, and he's poking oh, holes at man. the whole room and the whole industry, and nobody's safe. And, I mean, Mel Gibson was, I love coming to the Academy Award or the, the Golden Globes because it reminds me every time I see Ricky Gervais, it's time for my colonoscopy. Who makes a joke like that? But it worked and it was memorable. You're not going to get away with that at the Oscars because it's too haughty toddy We couldn't do that. And that's part of the problem. Where do you draw the line between entertainment and what is too lowbrow? I mean, everyone loved, you know, something about Mary, but would you nominate that for an Oscar for best writing as creative as it was? No. Why? Because it's too lowbrow. So already you've got issues. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, but she showed up in a raunchy comedy, but she was the best thing in it and she nailed it. I mean, she completely transformed herself. Should we nominate her? No. She's MTV Movie Awards or maybe a Golden Globes in the comedy department. If she nailed it, you don't you don't get a lot of comedic performances that are nominated for Oscars. I mean, there, there are exceptions, but it is not the rule. Oh, absolutely! And yet, those are some of the ones that that stick in our mind that are that are so memorable. So why not why not show some appreciation for them and for what they do? Why does it always have to be like you said a dramatic role? Sometimes sometimes the comedic. It, it takes a, a ton of work to to be in that position and to be able to to pull that off. And there's there's a certain bit of of appreciation that that's worth considering. Some of the that. best performances I've ever seen, like Bill Murray in Ghostbusters. It, he didn't write the movie, but it's been argued by Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd, who did write the movie, that he should almost get a co-writer credit right. because he made up a lot of his own lines on the spot. Exactly. And they're legendary lines. It's a great performance. If nothing else, he should have been added to the writing staff and anything they were nominated for for writing. But and it's a great performance. And that speaks to, again, another area of disconnect, Dave, that you and I have talked about so often on this podcast, how... There are so many movies that, that we can think of where they stay in the mind. They have, they have stood the test of time with us. They stay in our mind because of the memorable, the funny, the emotionally uplifting, sometimes the emotionally punching as well, like we talked about earlier. And yet there are other movies that they just, they just don't stick in that same, that, that same way. Look at, um, look at some of these movies that have won the Oscars in recent years, and yet... They're not gonna. They're not gonna stay in your mind. They're they're not gonna last as far as the test this, of time. The, as and especially the entertainment test of time. This was a great time watching this movie. This was a great time remembering it. How do you, how do you balance? And yet maybe it was a really good movie, but it it just it didn't appeal to a mass audience. It didn't appeal in that way. And yet maybe it was still really good and really well done. How do you balance or more, those two out? Even more confusing, it did. Here's a good example. Ordinary People came out in the early 80s, directed by Robert Redford, and it was the toast of Hollywood. It had a great cast, had Donald Sutherland, and had uh, Mary Tyler Moore in a dramatic role. And it was the toast of Hollywood. You know, Redford now, not in front of the camera, but behind the camera, and won the Best Directing Oscar for it. And it was in. It was a mix for everything. 
When was the last time you even heard of that movie? I'm sure people that have, like, ordinary people, what? That's a Stopping the podcast to Google it and find out, oh, huh? When was the last time you ever saw it anywhere? And I'm not saying that it's not a good movie. I mean, it was. It won Oscars. But it was one of the toasts of Hollywood at the time, and you just don't hear about it anymore. What happened? Why, why is that? If it's so entertaining, and understand, I'm not tearing the movie down at all. I've seen it. It's a great movie. It's a depressing movie, and maybe that's part of why. It, it's one of those movies where you kind of leave empty a little bit. Yeah. You know, it, it, it brings yeah. you something. It doesn't leave you empty, but you just have that feeling like, <sighs> it's like watching Jennifer Aniston and uh, Vince Vaughn in the movie The Breakup. Who wants to watch that in real life, let alone pay to see it and all the awkwardness and painfulness of it? Some of those are not easy movies to watch, but Schindler's List is a difficult movie to watch, but it brings something. And again, that's where I think having the mixture is so important yeah. where you have the ones that entertain and lift up a little bit too, but maybe you can still tell a message through it and you also have the heavier ones then as well, rather than just saying, this is the kind of movie that we are going to appreciate, that we are going to award, that we're going to run with. Why not have a little bit of both? So why not be able to to honor both? Let's touch base on the mechanics here. How do how does this happen? How do you get nominated? How do you win? When it com- and it depends on the uh, uh, whatever the particular awards are. When it comes to the Oscars, people in that field, let's take directors to start with, people that are members of the Academy that are in the directing field, they get to nominate who they think should be nominated for Best Director. So guys like Scorsese and Spielberg and so forth, they get to make those nominations. They're not necessarily consulting with one another, but you know phone calls are being made. They're talking to one another. For What'd your you... consideration ads sure. that I see all the time. Sure. You know. Yeah. So what do you think about this? Well, I don't know about that. So already you've got your secret committees, so to speak, but you've also got secret committees organized by people who know what they're talking about because they are directors in this field. They get to nominate. Then, once they're nominated, any voting member of the Academy in whatever field, you can get the guy that works in cinematography voting for best actor because he's part of the Academy and it's already been nominated, but now he can vote. Okay, you've got that. So what might be something we're talking about, what the issues are, what might be an opportunity to fix it? All right. Generally, with the exception of best picture, which is up to 10, but not always going to be 10, usually you have five nominees per category. Usually. Not always. Let's say that the people that normally get to vote, they get four. And then everybody else, here's a hotline. Maybe it's a stuffing of the ballot box because if you turn it over to the public, that's always possible. And if you don't believe that, go look at any all-star voting and you'll find out. Plus, it helps to release the movie very close to when they set up the cutoff as far as who could possibly be nominated. I mean, that's why a lot of movies come out in late December slash early January. I think of... The last normal movie year that we had, 1917, getting released right there in early January, right before the cutoff point. I mean, I think they did a limited release and on like December 25th on Christmas Day, and very it limited release in, New York and LA or in order to be able to get it in the running for the awards before the wide release ended up coming along. And I was like, man, it's too bad that that they that they feel like they have to release it at that point to to be in the running because this movie is absolutely phenomenal and, and should be on a wide scale sooner. And there's a think. strategy to not doing that because if you release in March, you're so far away from the next Oscars, which you could be eligible for, people right. might forget. Right. But you're also in the middle of everybody if you release November, December, because that's when right. a lot of the heavyweights come out because they want to be remembered when it comes time to nominate. But maybe, you know, having the public have a voice, not the voice, but a voice. 
you get four categories nominated by the experts, and then you get the people. You know, they maybe get one out of five, but they get to get somebody in. And if it's somebody that, let's just say, shouldn't have been nominated, it's a popularity contest, but really wasn't that good of a nominee. Let's just see if we can get him in. Look at IMDb. Sure. And, and the way that people rate on there. Sure. You know what would be kind of fun? What if the experts get three, the voice of the public gets one, and then the critics you know, the people that put the votes up on IMDb and, you know, and that's also just anybody. I could put a vote up on IMDb, but maybe you get the critics. They get one nominee also. So now you've got kind of a mm. hodgepodge, heavily weighted by the experts and the academy and the people that are in the field, but one voice to the public, one voice to the critics, who all seem to be in different opinions anyway. All right, let's get them a voice. And so now somebody's got, you know, skin in the game. And then when it comes to voting, uh, you've got it comes down to the academy or whatever, but they've got to choose from whatever now. And it, the people's champ is still in there. It's still in there now. Maybe huh. the the academy will vote against their uh, people that are not their own people. Maybe I don't know, but maybe the truth is what the truth is. Maybe you find a way to have some sort of a voice of the people. I don't know how to make that work, but well, there's a chance that that could get manipulated depending on how it's always going to be manipulated, right? Depending on how broad you make it. You know, I think of I think of one very obscure hockey player who made the All Star game a few years ago because of an awards, an award ballot box stuffing kind of thing that people do, but. But I like the idea of, of opening up a little bit more to to the public to have their say and to, to be able to say this movie deserves consideration among like where you announce maybe you announce some of the others prior to that. And then it's like, OK, the people get their say on another movie or two even because remember it's anywhere between five and ten as far as the number of movies that can be up for best picture so why not let the people have their say and if there's an overwhelming one or an overwhelming two even that they really like let's let them have their seat at the table here i just had a really good idea a really good idea are you ready at the time of the year, the first quarter of any given year is usually where the economy is probably at the weakest because everyone has spent their Christmas cash. And so now January, February, everyone's out of money. But that's when nominees come out for the Oscars and so forth. You get the nominee process done earlier. And you make the fans get a chance to vote. For whatever percentage of this it's going to be, they can nominate the movies that they want if we're going to do this. How do you do that? Go to the movies. On the back of your paper printout movie ticket is an actual ballot where you can write in your nominees for the various different categories. And in order to do this, you're going to the movies. So in a weird way, it's almost like you're attending the Oscars pre-Oscars by going to where the movies live. And going to the movie before you go in, you write in your ballot of whatever and so forth. Could you stuff the box? Absolutely. This is going to be a popularity contest. But it will have a result, and it will give the fans a voice, even if it's manipulated. But show me any election process for the all-star game, for politics, for movies, and for the box office that isn't manipulated by a popularity contest of some sort. And so you're in no different situation, but now the fans have a voice. So they could go to any movie, and they would get that that ballot regarding who's up for the the people's There's a box, literally, like a ballot box, done as glitzy as you can, maybe a small Oscar statuette knockoff, you know, that looks like the Oscar. And so when do you ever see an Oscar? I mean, it wouldn't be a real one. It'd be plastic or something. But right there is the box. Put your vote into the box and ask the usher or whoever for your ballot. If you get 10 ballots and you should fill them out 10 times, of course that's going to happen. The theater is your polling place, yes. basically. Yes. Yeah. 
And you have, you know, and you you have the official rules, no purchase required, so you don't have to go. But how many people go to a movie theater and don't get something, even if it's just popcorn? Or, oh, I did want to see that movie. I'll blow off the PTA meeting and I'll go to see part seven of whatever. And again, think about it. By this point, you would have yes. five, six, seven nominees already set that have been chosen in the in the normal manner. Now it's either one or two more being added on. And I think it would need to be a conglomeration of box office receipts as well as, you know, IMDB score, Rotten Tomatoes. You know, take take a, take a combination of all of those things to determine how you would create that ballot and who would be in the running on that ballot because then there'd be like an Avengers Endgame on yeah. there. There'd be maybe like a... You know, just think bigger tentpole that would give bigger tentpole movies that maybe wouldn't have been given consideration. Maybe they now would get it. And you know that they would also be critically well received enough to where it's not like it's a complete outlier. It's not like you have like Transformers Revenge of the Fall and being on there, but you are getting a movie that has both been critically well praised and has been loved by by people by the people in general that are that is getting on that ballot. And maybe then there's maybe the critics have already determined, hey, we want a big tentpole movie on here anyway, and they already have one on there. Now you're just adding another one or two. Now the interest is greater and they belong on that list. It's not just a courtesy place for it. They belong there because again they were on that ballot for a reason. Well and again it's not like you can't manipulate. We're already hearing about how Rotten Tomato scores are purposely being put pumped up or held back. Oh I, I so think I think there's a lot of credence there, to that. There is yeah. that. So you gotta figure out, you know, how to just maintain those sites so you don't get those kind of things. Uh, just in the news this week, what is considered the best movie of all time, Citizen Kane, a movie review from eighty years ago got unearthed and got added to the collective critical review, which was a negative review, so now it's 99.9% and not the solid 100%. They're seriously going to consider that? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So that's what happened. So, yeah, it's not that this is a perfect system, and there is no perfect system, but it gives a voice to those. If the Academy nominates Titanic, let's say, in 97, and the critics nominate Titanic, and the people nominate Titanic... That's got to say something. Obviously, you're not going to have Titanic three times on the bill, but maybe you don't. Maybe that goes into the one category. I don't know how how to how to. Maybe it's a runoff election kind of a thing. All right, we already have Titanic nominated. What next would you do? I, I don't know what the answer to that would be. But giving the voice for one. So not only is it a movie that you saw, liked, and want to have win, you helped to nominate it, and is there an optional fifth one where you get to maybe have some sort of a vote? that might tally into who does win this. You know, then you got to be a little more careful. Um, I believe in... Uh, but I think it's a good idea on the whole. The, what you're bringing up is still a really good idea. There's always the possibility for some sort of Hollywood gerrymandering, whether it's nomination sure. or the vote process to actually get the winner. Yeah. How can you make that as minimal an impact as is possible? That's a good question to which I don't have a really good answer. Right. But it's uh, it's a certainly a place to start from. Yeah. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is brought to you by the Bemidji Theater. I think to to close this out as far as talking about fixing the Oscars, Dave, you and I are not going to fix the Oscars no. ourselves. We are podcast hosts, and we we have a, a limit, limited audience that, that we talk to, um, which we hope is growing. But I, I'm hopeful that 
that some of the things that we've talked about here are being talked about in in other places too. I, I hope that you know a lot of a lot of where I took inspiration from in in discussing these things today was from a a segment of radio from Dan Barrero on KFAN, a sports station down in in the Twin Cities um, in Minneapolis, St. Paul talking about this very issue and he was talking about an article he had been reading regarding this year's Oscars and I I hope that for those in Hollywood and also not just for them but also for those who report on things like the Oscars or on Hollywood that they are not just brushing off these low ratings as these people have no culture they, these shows just, they got to do their own thing and just plow ahead with it and not consider the greater viewing audience. No, I, I think you can both continue to make your point on, on areas where maybe you should say something and make a point, while also trying to entertain the viewing audience as well and entertain the broad viewing audience rather than creating this very closed closed-minded even even for people who are trying to be progressive but yet end up becoming closed-minded creating this closed-minded kind of area where if you don't get it forget you i think that's a, a dangerous way to go and I, I think the oscars and hollywood in general and and all of that they are going that direction and have gone that direction and i think even those who report on them have gone that direction oh forget the low ratings they're 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 enlightened. They're they're doing a, No, you maybe you have some good points to make, but you are also you're also forgetting about a large audience. Well, here that's as the well. key right there is the audience. If people aren't watching, you're not going to have networks that says putting it on TV because that's a it's it can be a 4-hour block of time that people aren't watching, your advertisers are going to stop working there and for economic reasons, it isn't going to work anymore. Absolutely. And I I think I I hope that there are enough people talking about how poorly the ratings were this year for the Oscars, how in a year where we didn't have a lot of a lot of mainstream movies, sure, that impacted it. But I hope that they are evaluating, even still, and going, what needs to change, both within the Oscars, the event themselves, and outside of the Oscars with Hollywood in general? What needs to change to to change the the perception and to to bring people back to watching the movies and watching this again make them laugh entertain while also you can make your point and entertain at the same time it is possible i think it comes down to entertainment quite honestly the oscars to some degree is always going to be a stuffy affair and to some degree, I begrudgingly admit that maybe it needs to be just because of what it is. I mean, you don't show up to a place in a tuxedo and let it be absolutely up- uproariously, you know, <laughs> unchivalrous and just rowdy and fun. Well, right. It would be fun, but that's not what's going to happen. That's the Oscars after party. This is Hollywood royalty, and the royalty are always known for the stiff upper lip. So you're going to have a, d- a degree of that. <laughs> nice. I'm so, trying to do my, my stiff, stiff upper lip impression. Yeah. So it's not about how long the people talk. It's about what they're talking about. Thank you to yeah. this person and thank you. No, no, no. I think the whole thing, maybe you set something aside where variety or whatever, every nominee submits a list 
of who they want to thank. And it goes to, you know, the trades, which will be printed that night and will be available at newsstands in the morning. And maybe that helps print media. It'll also be online and so on and so forth. That's where you get your thanks out. If there's somebody that you must give a shout out to, obviously, thank you to the Academy. Thank you to everybody. You know who you are. You'll read about it in the trades tomorrow. But a special thanks to my mom and dad. And then say something interesting. You know, rather, you know, send something inspirational, you know, something that's going to be people. Nobody talks about who thanks unless you forget to thank somebody that you should have, like your spouse or somebody. You know, when I when I accept the nomination and the award for thanks for the best podcast, I won't forget you, Hoof. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that. So <laughs> other than that, nobody cares who you think. You got to hit the you got to hit the points of entertainment. And if you can't do that, and you can't make it in an entertaining show. Then you've got a problem. I like the points where they would go into some sort of a skit. Dance routine numbers. Yeah. No, I like that they did all the songs in the pre-show this year. I wasn't really watching. I was actually talking long distance to my sister during the Oscars and it was just kind of on in the background. That's me watching the Oscars this year. But they did a lot of that stuff in the pre-show. This is the era of the internet. If you want to see it, you can find it. The problem with those numbers, they're very artistic, they're very nice, but it drags the show on long enough. And it, You need a break, yes. Problem is when those numbers happen, all the seat fillers come in because all the big stars go to the bathroom. But I think you can trim down some of the other stuff yes. enough to allow for more of that to be in there, yes. too. You know, have, putting the emphasis on the entertainment value of the show. Why am I watching this show? Yes, it's kind of history for Hollywood, but it can get really boring. So maybe even having people, you know, when they're writing a speech, consulting with somebody, if they, I don't feel like I know what to write or how to speak. And Here's a guy we're going to hook you up with. Here's his number. Call him. He'll get you something sent your direction for time and we'll go. Put them on a clock. Yeah, yeah. There's that too. But what are you doing with that clock? If you're boring, then who cares? If you're really interesting, I don't care if he talks long. Right. Good so point. That's the deal. And it's, it's got to be an entertaining show and not drawn out about, you know, stuff you don't really care about hearing, whether it's one cause after another, after another, after, very noble, but after a while, it's just like rich cake. You just can't eat anymore. Um, whether it's endless thank yous from boring, monotonous people that, you know, I, and again, I get it. Coming but. from an insulated part of society yes, that, that is in many ways out of touch with the rest of us. And very privileged too. Correct. You know, yeah, I, I'm with you 100%. So it, it is what it is, but I, can it be fixed to a point? Yes, but I think if you go too far one will way... Will it be fixed, though? That's the other part uh, of it. I don't know if it will. Right. Hollywood clearly gets its way in whatever that is, generally. Yeah. And this is generally the way that Hollywood wants it to be. So that's probably the way it's going to be. That's why I appreciate those who do still try to entertain while also... And, and reflecting that, that, that part of cinema, that part of it is about entertaining, while also considering larger issues as yeah. well it's been done all throughout it can still be done all, all throughout history i should say it can still be done here in the present and future too so lots of discussion uh, regarding fixing the oscars and ideas for it maybe you've got some ideas uh running through your mind as well but there's probably more things we could talk yeah, about but you i know, know. Well, the meter's running good stuff though regardless <laughs> dave yeah go grab go get that meter taken care of here so um i mean we might have Rick and Nick themselves with all the time we've spent talking about this. Maybe Rick and Nick themselves have been stirred out of their own slumber. No, I, I can't. make a run at this. I came top of the line. I've got a float plane double parked at the dock. Wow. Okay, cool. I'll let you go take care of that. <laughs> I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we will see you at, at the, the movies. movies.